If you have your Bibles with you, turn it uh, with me uh, in first, into First Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be examining verses 11 through 13. Past few weeks we've been talking about um, what it means to live uh, in light of the end days. Uh, how can we uh, be faithful? Uh, what are what are, what has the Lord called us to? Uh, for Paul, um, and, and in the beginning, we kind of talked about just the history of uh, really him his ministry uh, in um, really the kind of the his first missionary journey where he established the church uh, in, at Thessalonica, but had to leave promptly uh, and. Uh, Yet, the Lord has established uh, a church there, a thriving, growing church. Um, there are uh, reports of uh, some, maybe them struggling with um, false prophets and things of that nature. Uh, but what we saw uh, in the previous passage is uh, Paul sending Timothy and uh, ministering uh, amongst them and uh, Timothy coming back and giving a, a, a great report uh, to Paul, one in which they rejoice uh, in, uh, and they are deeply encouraged. And in verse 9, he, uh, Paul talks about, and we'll talk about this here in a few minutes, but his longing uh, to come and see the church at Thessalonica face to face so that he may strengthen and encourage them in the truth of the gospel. And what we see in verses 11 through 13 is in some ways kind of like a little prayer uh, to the Lord that that would indeed happen. So turn with me in First Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you would illumine the eyes of our hearts, that we would see Jesus, that we would love him more, and that we would indeed be built up and encouraged by the truth of the gospel. For we pray this through Christ. Amen. If you knew the outcome of whatever it is that you're going through, how would that impact your day-to-day life? If you were to know the outcome, how would it impact your day-to-day life? That's precisely what Paul is talking about here when we, when we look to uh, verses 11 through 13. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ as being a sure thing. He's, he's accomplished his work on the cross. Uh, he's fulfilled the requirement, the righteous requirement of the law by the Father. And, and he will return in glory to make one last final judgment. How does that impact our lives? How does that impact the lives of the church in Thessalonica? Uh, we'll find out here in the next few weeks, but they struggled. They wrestled with this reality. They weeped and they mourned for those whom they loved dearly when they died. They wondered, they wondered if God's plan was, was good, if God's promises were worthy of trust. And what we see uh, Paul reminding us 
uh, in several ways is, is how the Lord directs our ways or directs our steps. And, and what he does is uh, he, he causes or encourages uh, God's people uh, to abound. Uh, that, that word that we see in, uh, there's, a, there's kind of a phrase, increase in abundance. But it's uh, super abound in God's, or in, in love for one another and for all people. And, and we also see uh, that, um, that through this process, uh, his, his church or his people's hearts are encouraged with the truth uh, that they will stand blameless and holy in the presence of the Father and the Son. What a great joy that is. That, that has eternal significance in how we live our lives today. And Paul has, has written these verses, these three verses, to remind, to encourage the church in Thessalonica of this truth, this reality. So if, if you see in verse 11, we see Paul saying, uh, praying that the, that the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus would direct our way to you. Uh, that statement is a significant statement for Paul. What do we know about Paul? Paul has been seeking to, to destroy and undermine the church, right? For making such claims as, as this, that Jesus is Lord, that he is equal to God the Father. I mean, that, this, is, this man has been training his whole life and, and essentially fighting to preserve that. And what do we see him doing here? Confessing the very thing that he sought to undermine and destroy. That Jesus is God. Moreover, that he is directing the steps of his people. He's, he's guiding, he's encouraging, he's challenging, he's leading as our good shepherd. Uh, that, that statement that Jesus is indeed equal to God. That he is the one who is drawing us to himself. Uh, he goes on to talk about that in a little bit more in specifics. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of focus in on that, about abounding in love, but also uh, being able to stand in his presence. But it's, it's this reality uh, that uh, through Christ, we can now be declared as righteous, as holy, as blameless, as his children, as his sons and daughters. It's not by any work that we've done. It's not by any work that Paul has done or the apostles or, or Timothy and Silas. This is the work of the Lord through the proclamation of the gospel. And here we have a church in Thessalonica who's thriving as a result of that. They've responded to this truth that the Lord has drawn us to himself, that he saved us for eternity, that he saved us through our Lord Jesus through his substitutionary atonement on the cross. His work was for our good. We benefited from it. We now are embraced as God's people. He is our Heavenly Father. The Lord Jesus is our elder brother. This is true. He is directing and guiding our steps uh, to himself, but also in the here and now. Uh, He's currently doing that. It's not just kind of a one and done thing. Uh, Jesus is actively, the, the Father is actively engaging us personally through the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Word. And, and He does so in God's Word, right? Isn't that what Paul does right here? He testifies to the truth of the Gospel. 
that Jesus is indeed Lord, that he is equal to the Father. So when Jesus makes the, the claim that before Abraham was, so was Jesus, you know, Jesus was, uh, he's making a claim that he's God, uh, that this that his whole purpose was to come to give his life as a ransom, to draw us to himself, to love us with an everlasting love. That is huge for Paul, personally. Uh, we, we know his story. Uh, the Lord met him, uh, caused him to, to be blind, but also opened up his eyes to the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But what we see here also is, in, in some ways, a, a model for discipleship ministry. What do we see uh, Paul doing? He's praying, right? Uh, now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. There, there is a longing, there's a desire, as I stated before in verse 9, where, where Paul longs to see them face to face. Uh, the kind of ministry that Paul longs to have is one of encouragement, challenge, support. He, in verse 9, he talks about them lacking uh, in faith and, and, and him bringing that which will cause them to lack no more. Uh, the truth of the gospel, encouragement in the gospel. Uh, he's pursuing them. Uh, there's a challenge for me here. Uh, there's a challenge for us as, as leaders of, of God's people uh especially someone like myself who who struggles with uh being bold or uh introverted my natural inclination is to pray that the, that the lord would bring people to myself and what we see here the challenge that we see here by paul is the challenge is opposite that we may go and pursue them so that we may encourage Right, with the purpose of encouraging, challenging, and strengthening uh, those whom we seek to serve. There's a pursuit. There's an incarnational ministry, which we'll get into when we talk about the superabounding in God's love. There's a there's a desire to to have Paul's life on life with them to to live out their faith as God's people to to be mutually encouraged in the truth of the gospel. It begins with the pursuit. And the pursuit doesn't begin with us. The pursuit begins with the Lord. As the Lord has pursued us and drawn us to himself, we are called to pursue and draw others to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a, there's a real challenge here, uh, especially to fathers, to parents, as we care for our children. How do we lead our children? Are we leading our children to know the Lord, to know that Jesus is indeed God, that he is directing their steps? Are we encouraging our children to grow in that understanding? Are we encouraging our children to rest in that truth and understanding? Are we modeling that for them? Uh, again, that's a huge challenge for me because my, my tendency is oftentimes to, to, um, to not pursue my children. Uh, to, to, to not do what it takes to see them know that their Lord and Savior Jesus loves and cares for them. My, my inclination is actually to, to, to think about myself and to serve myself. But here is the challenge before us, the encouragement before us to pursue, to encourage, to challenge, uh, to invite, uh, to, 
to incarnate. Uh, and I, I stated as leaders, uh, we are called to pursue those around us. Uh, we're called first to pursue our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're called to pursue those, uh, and we'll talk about this uh, later, but everyone else uh, that Paul talks about here. There, there is a challenge, there's a humbling, there's a reality. In light of how God has pursued us, we are called to pursue those around us. But he's given us the spirit. He's given us the power of the spirit to, and, and Paul talks about this in, in Second uh, um, Timothy, where we are, we are to, to no longer be timid, right? Uh, but, uh, but to fan the, fam- the flame uh, of, of God, which has been laid in uh, upon us, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may be uh, bold, uh, pursuing pursuing the Lord and pursuing those around us. Um, we also see God calling us to himself, but uh, Paul's wis- kind of wishful prayer, uh, directing his steps to them, uh, Paul's incarnational ministry. But we move into our kind of our main point um, where we see uh, God's love abounding because God has directed our steps or the steps of his people uh, the love of God abounding uh, in his people for one another. One of the things that um, when I was in seminary that really uh, was in- encouraging to me uh, was I-, I was studying under a guy, his name is Dr. Phil Douglas. He's written a lot of books about the church and ecclesiology in the church. And uh, he was leading a kind of a practical theology class. And one of the things that he talked about was gathering with uh, several of his seminary uh, friends, uh, guys that he grew up with, guys that he went to seminary with, guys who he served uh, at on churches' staffs with, uh, and who did life together. Uh, sometimes they would they've moved on uh, to other places, but they always uh, managed to find time to to, to gather uh, to to come back. Uh, to be renewed, restored, and encouraged in the Lord uh, by doing that uh, with each with, with each other. They would do beach trips. They would do uh, spring break trips. They would do uh, ski trips, things of that nature. Once a year, uh, Phil Douglas and his friends w- would gather with their families, and they, and they would spend time seeking the Lord, encouraging each other, and pursuing one another. Uh, I think that's a beautiful picture of life on life ministry, and and throughout the year they they long to to have that fellowship, uh, and I think it's it illustrates the in some ways the kind of ministry uh, that that you and I are called to have as God's people, uh, abounding in uh, God's love for one another. Uh, Paul longs to see God causes people, as I stated before super abounding in God's love. So that what the idea that's uh, put forth here is not necessarily just kind of, you know, doing life together, uh, but in response to the great love that God has shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to show that love towards one another. Uh, That's why he calls us to to first uh, be abounding in love for one another. This is the context of the church. Uh, God is, or, uh, God through Paul is challenging the church in Thessalonica to, to grow 
in their love of God as they study and they grow in their relationship with God, but also grow in their love for one another. Uh, and I think what we see is, is uh, illustrated here is in the life of Paul, where he, he prays for his brothers and sisters in the Lord. He bears their burdens. He longs to, to have a relationship with them in such a way that they, that they may be mutually encouraged and strengthened uh, in the gospel. Uh, there's a, that superabounding in love uh, speaks of a heart that is gripped by the truth of the gospel. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a heart that recognizes the reality that we are sinners before a holy and righteous God. But God, out of his great love for us, has chosen to save us in his son Jesus Christ, not based on anything that we've done, but based on the merit of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a deal breaker. That, if, that impacts every aspect of our life. Uh, you know, what, what we see uh, being put forth uh, in Genesis 3 is carried throughout the scriptures. As far as the curse goes, the work of the Spirit, the, the work of the gospel seeks to undo and restore and renew. That's the kind of love that you and I are called to have for one another. One of reconciliation, one of encouragement, one of strength. One of building each other up in the Lord rather than gossiping and slandering and tearing each other down. There, there is a, there's a heart that's gripped with humility, submitting to the will of the Father. That's precisely what, what, uh, Paul is doing here. He longs, he longs to see the church in Thessalonica, but he can't come. So what does he do? He trusts that the Lord is at work. That he who began a good work in them will see it to its completion. And, and there may be a time where, where he may be able to participate in that. Now we know the, somewhat of the end of this end story in Acts chapter 20. What we see is there's a, there's a wonderful, beautiful reunion. That, that longing that he had to, to see his, his church face to face is realized when he, when he comes back, back through to, to, to encourage and challenge them with the gospel. God's people abound in love, when, uh, one, uh, in love for one another because of the love that's abound in them in the Son, Jesus Christ. So it's first uh, to the church, right? Through the church. And then for all, for all people. Uh, it goes beyond the church. Once again, that incarnational ministry, that life on life, that's face to face, where we pursue, encourage, and challenge uh, our neighbor, right, our our coworker, our family member, uh, our friends, uh, our buddies at school, our classmates. These are the people whom God has placed in our lives that we, you and I, as followers of Christ, are called to pursue. We're called to incarnate. We're called. We're called to know and love them. Words matter. What we say in places like Facebook impact those kinds of relationships. What, how, we, how we live our lives, if, if we believe the gospel, if we trust in the Lord, if we are gripped by the truth of the gospel, then we're, gonna, we're called to love. We're called to 
implement that love. We're called to, to live it out. Now, what I'm, what I'm not saying is that we, you know, we, we kind of embrace and do, you know, accept everything. But, but what I'm, what I'm talking about, what, what I think Paul is talking about is, is a kind of love, uh, that really that we see, uh, exemplified in, uh, Ezekiel chapter 47. If you, if you have time, go home, read that, uh, beautiful passage. It's a, it's a vision that Ezekiel has that, um, that the, the, the water of life or the, the river of life is flowing from the mercy seat. What happens on the mercy seat? Do you remember? The sacrifice. You know, the, the, the day, the day of atonement, there is one sacrifice that's offered for payment of the sin. And we, and we, we know that that's been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what Ezekiel is foretelling, what he's pointing to, is that, that river of life that comes through the mercy seat. The, the mercy seat of, of Jesus who has given up his life on the cross for payment of our sins. It's the kind of love that transforms lives. And what we see in, in Ezekiel 47 is whenever the water flows out into the city, uh, through, through the, um, east and west, uh, on the riverbanks, uh, trees and fruit and, and, and all kinds of, uh, plants just burst and bloom and, and thrive and flourish. That's the kind of love, uh, that Paul is talking about here. The love that is, that is offered to us freely through the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the kind of love that, that transforms our lives, that impacts our relationships, impacts how we do business, how we, li- how we, how we engage our, na- our, our neighbor, how we, how we care for one another, how we love with an everlasting love as the Father has shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and actually Jesus picks up on this in, in John chapter seven. When, when he talks about the river of life, uh, the, 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 that kind of river that gives, uh, fruitful life actually flows from him. And all those who come to him and drink, will be nourished, will be satisfied of that thirst. And, and it also speaks of that kind of river flowing from us uh, through, uh, by way of uh, the sun. This life-giving water uh, impacts our lives personally, but also our relationships. So it's going to impact how we parent. It's going to impact how we uh, lead in our businesses. It's going to, as, as church leaders, it's going to impact how we care for those whom God has put under us. We're called to pursue. We're called to pursue in such a way that, that those who are under us love in the same way that the Father has shown his love for us in the Son. That's the kind of transformation that Paul longs to see in the church in Thessalonica. And I think longs to see in the church at Northside. So we've seen how God causes people to abound in love for one another. Now we see how the ministry of Christ through the incarnational ministry of Paul causes his people's hearts to be made blameless and holy in his presence. So he moves from 
the love of God uh, kind of demonstrated through Christ manifested in his in his people uh, with with this with the statement about uh, that same kind of love kind of equipping or or, or preparing uh, the church in Thessalonica to be able to stand before the Father and and be declared as holy and righteous in his sight. Uh, and, and what we see here is there's an already and not yet component. The already is what we talked about earlier, that we are justified. We have been declared not guilty because of the work of Christ on our behalf. That's how the Father sees us. That's how the Father saw the church in Thessalonica, those who've trusted in, in uh, His Son Jesus, as blameless, as holy, standing before Him currently, right? Uh, that is our status. Our sins are forgiven. Our, our, uh, our, I think um, Isaiah talks about, though our, our sins are, are as red as scarlet, right? We've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, and and we now stand before uh, the Father, uh, clean or cleansed of all unrighteousness, um, holy in His sight. That's how the Father sees us when we trust in uh, Christ. That's who we are. That is our identity: sons and daughters of the King, holy and blameless in His sight, once and for all through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But there is a future component to that that he that he points to when he talks about this, the saints, right? Uh, that the same love manifested in Christ uh, will prepare the the church in Thessalonica to be able to stand before the Father and the Son as blameless and holy in His sight with all the saints. Um, what we see here is is Paul kind of setting the stage to address some issues that. Uh, here in the future, where the church was struggling. They, they were wrestling with death. Uh, they were wrestling with whether or not they should kind of sit on their laurels, so to speak, and, and wait till Christ returns or you know, to, to, to be some of those driven people that make things happen, right? Uh, oftentimes living as if uh, God is indeed not directing their steps. There's a struggle here. There's a wrestling. There's a wondering. Are God's promises trustworthy? They are. Because why? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Uh, When when Paul is talking about, you know, the the Spirit preparing or the God's love preparing for us to stand in His presence with all the saints, he's talking about. The, uh, the the second the resurrection the resurrection of the body uh, where those who've fallen asleep those who've died uh, before Christ's second coming will receive new bodies uh, Paul actually talks about this in uh, his letter to Corinth where he talks about if if Christ did not raise from the dead we are to be most pitied of all men. But thanks be to God, Christ has indeed, in a time and place in history, physically, bodily resurrected. And moreover, there's a promise that if we die before Christ returns, we will receive holy and righteous new uh, 
without any sin or brokenness bodies, new, resurrected bodies with Christ. And, and what we, the picture that uh, I think uh, Paul is painting here is us standing with Jesus in our new bodies as he casts the final death blow to death itself. Uh, it, it, may be, it may seem kind of odd, but that's our hope. That is our assurance. That's what we long for. That's what, that's what we look forward to. When we will see the Lord Jesus face to face, where we will no longer have broken, dying, decaying, disease-filled bodies, but we will be without flaw, without blemish, blameless, holy, righteous, pure, renewed in the sight of the Father, standing with the Son. Now, I know that there are some in this congregation who they're they're wrestling with they know this this reality all too well physically spiritually emotionally they they are wrestling with very true and harsh uh ailments there's a word of encouragement here that Paul reminds us of death does not have the last word this is not the way it's supposed to be There will be a day in which we will see our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, renewed, restored, face to face, without sin or struggle or hardship, um, emotionally, spiritually, physically. What a beautiful picture that is. And as, you know, as I go back to the question that I asked us in the beginning, how does knowing the result or the consequence or the end game impact how we live today. It should give us hope. It should give us assurance that, that God is at work, even though we may not understand what's going on, even though we may not even see what he's doing. God is directing our steps. He's directing our steps to him. He's directing our steps to one another so that we may abound, actually super abound in love for one another as we grow in our understanding of the love that God has shown us uh, in, uh, in the Son. Might you be encouraged? Might you be challenged? Might you be um, set free to, to, to serve, uh, to grow, to pursue, uh, as God has pursued you and me, as, as Paul models that kind of pursuit with the church in Thessalonica? What I hope you don't hear me say is, be like Paul. What I hope you hear is, the Lord loves you. He's pursuing you. He's drawing you to himself. He loves you with an everlasting love. There will be a day in which you will see him face to face without struggle or hardship or disease or brokenness. The question is, and I think the question that he posed to the church in Thessalonica is, do you believe it? If you have, this is true. This is good news. If you don't believe it, here is Paul. Here is me offering it to you. Might you come, might you taste and see that the Lord is good. Might you you know the everlasting promises of God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Might you love 
with a superabounding love as you reflect and are renewed in the great love that God has shown you in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we, uh, as we wrestle day to day uh, with sin, with brokenness, might we, um, might we be encouraged with the truth that the war is, has been won. And um, Lord, you are victorious because you have been raised from the dead. Lord, and, and as a result, we now stand before you not in any merit of our own strength, but solely in the merit of Christ. You, you declare us as not guilty. You declare us as holy, as pure, because of what Christ has done, because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus. As we, Lord, partake of the, of the Lord's Supper, might we be renewed and reminded of these things and encouraged as a result. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.